Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. Hey, what's up, Rockstars? It's Matt Johnson. We are back again with the UX Podcast. The latest episode is going to be a little bit of a detour because we're talking with Dr. James Kelly. He's the author of The Crucible's Gift. You might know him as the host of the Executive After Hours Podcast, which is a very popular show. Some of you in the audience either may have been a guest or have listened to some of your friends and uh, and colleagues on that show. And uh, Dr. James, super interesting guy. I love this conversation. Uh, We talked a lot about positive and negative diversity and the emotional cycles that come up with that. And all that stuff applies to us even more so as coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs out here kind of in the entrepreneurial wild, wild west, uh, because we run those emotional cycles and go through them, I would say more than even the average person does. Um, And so there's a lot to be said for how we handle and respond to adversity. So we talk a lot about that. Uh, Dr. James is a super interesting guy, very unique background. He's lived all over the world, holds a PhD in international marketing. Uh, We actually recorded the episode uh, from his place in Dubai. That's where he was uh, zooming in from. And uh, so we've got all kinds of fun stuff to get into. Uh, we talked a lot about you know, failure. We talked about what, what's the difference between good and bad failure. We talked about a little bit on uh, the inside baseball of how we marketed the book and what worked well and what didn't. We also talked a little bit about why stories, which is what the book is based around, why stories are more helpful and typically more persuasive than facts and statistics and things like that. Something very important uh, to keep in mind if you tend to be more of an idea or a concepts person like I am. uh, When we're trying to be helpful and persuasive to people or get them to take action, a lot of times a story is much more effective. And Dr. James really nailed that in that book because it's based on a lot of the stories from the podcast interviews that he's done over the years. And so I'm super excited to, uh, to have you jump into this conversation. This is Dr. James Kelly, the author of The Crucible's Gift. Uh, so first of all, James, welcome to the show. I'm, I'm really pumped to have you here. Matt, dude, I am so excited to be here, mostly just because I love your attitude and your energy. And then the show, but the first two are most important to me. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Uh, we actually, uh, we met a while back. We actually met through, we, we met in Chris Lockhead's driveway. <laughs> so we met in Chris Lockhead's driveway as you were coming out of a marathon three-hour episode of Legends and Losers with, I think, yeah. John Berghoff, and there may have Correct. been some substances of some kind involved. I'm sure whiskey, <laughs> I, I guarantee yes. he was involved. Uh, and that yes. may have been on the lighter side. So ever since then, I, we have, it's, been, it's been destined that we should do some sort of a podcast. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately you are the only one that has your whiskey today because it is eight o'clock at night where you are from it's only 9 30 in the morning for me so if i was drinking whiskey it would look a little odd it would, and I, I may call for some help <laughs> for you. <laughs> to stand? Oh, for me, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's, uh, let's jump in because I want to talk about, first of all, the content of the book, and, and then we'll talk about where the actual book fits into your world as a consultant mm-hmm. and professor and leader and, and all that good stuff. So, but first of all, kind of give us the idea, just the background of, of the big idea. How did the big idea for the book kind of come to you? So the book's title is The Crucible's Gift, Five Lessons from Authentic Leaders Who Thrive in Adversity. And it was really a culmination of two streams at one time that collided. 
And so the first stream uh, was my podcast, Executive After Hours. Um, I'm taking a long break right now to focus on my business so that I can pay for people to actually do the, the producing on the back end. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I would think I was spending like 10 or 15 hours a week, just like interviewing and editing. And it was, Oh, you were doing it all yourself. Correct. Good Correct. Lord, dude. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good Lord is a great way to phrase that. Um, <laughs> and so, and so, you know, the tagline of the podcast, uh, is, or was, uh, I care about who you are, not what you do, because who you are defines what you do. Mm-hmm. And so I was super interested, similar to Chris's show, I was super interested in people's journey. And so I would walk my audience through leader CEOs' uh, life from childhood to adulthood. And um, f- for me, I was really curious about their, just what they did, how they did it, their, their journey, their divorces, their deaths, their, their tragedies, like those things just captured me. Hmm. And, and so I never, I rarely, maybe 10% of the podcast would be focused on their actual job mm-hmm. or a book. Uh, and I'm sure that really pissed a lot of people off because I didn't spend a lot of time on their <laughs> core thing. Right. But I was, very, I was very clear, like my, my interest isn't in that so much. My interest is, is in people getting to know you as a person. Okay. So that's, that's stream one. And so I had all these stories of people having tragedy and trials and tribulations. And then, you know, uh, I grew up in this, this Irish Catholic household that was, uh, no Catholicism, light on violence and super heavy on guilt. And so (laughs) I, uh, you got, you got the worst part of Catholicism without the beauty of the ritual and and all the sacredness and all all the things that people like about Catholicism. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so, you know, um, uh, my family was, it's not, it's a family. Listen, it's a bit effed up, uh, but all in all, it was, a, it was a fairly good upbringing. But, you know, I had other tragedies. My dad died when I was 20. Uh, I got a DUI at 24. I had bankruptcy in my late 20s, you know. Um, mm. And then there was the good adversity. There was, I got married. I got a PhD. I had four kids. I was just there and witnessing it. Um, and so, you know, I felt like my story helped provide evidence to the concepts of the book and the podcast stories supported my, my theory around being an authentic leader. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of just collided in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that. Cause I think it's like, as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm a total ideas kind of concepts person and was never really drawn to stories. Um, and, and I've, as I've gotten like the more I advance in business, the more I, I learn, the more I learn just how important stories are, especially if we want to persuade people. Mm-hmm. If we want to get them to believe the same thing that we do, it's a lot more effective to tell them a story that illustrates what we're talking about or the point that we're making than it is to give them a lot of facts and stats and, you know, case studies mm-hmm. and things like that. And so, um, yeah, I think that's one of the value of having this reservoir of past interviews that you've done is you have all, all these stories. What, is there any one that really jumped out to you, like somebody else's story that really hit you hard? Yeah. So, um, there was this woman named Bridget Mayer who is an art gallery owner, uh, in Philadelphia and she owns consulting slash art gallery in LA now. That's where Mm -hmm. she lives mostly. And, uh, up until nine, she was raised in a one bedroom flat with her six siblings. Her mom was a prostitute and drug addict. Goodness. And she was in and out of the hospital for beatings. 
she couldn't reach uh, the faucet, so she would drink it out of the toilet. She was often on the streets trying to find food. So pretty crappy situation, if, if, you, if you would like to phrase it. Probably much worse way you could phrase that. Yes. Um, and then two saints in New Jersey adopted her and two of her, and two of her sisters, one older, one younger. Okay. And fast, fast forward through childhood and adulthood, and her older sister commits suicide. Her younger sister uh, on and off the streets, can't get herself straight. And Bridget goes on to go to Bucknell open an art gallery. And by her mid 20, she was a millionaire for selling art. Wow. Um, you know, the question that kept coming up is what was it about her? Same context, same adoptive family, same, you know, uh, single story apartment when they were children. What was it about Bridget that, that made her, allowed her, gave her space to be different, to recreate a future that she shouldn't have had, Yeah, you know? So that's, that story sticks out a, a lot to me as someone who just was super impactful. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so, so when you look back at all the stories and things like that, cause you boiled the book down into essentially five, five essential lessons. And, mm -hmm. and we can talk a little bit about authenticity and stuff like that. Uh, maybe if we, if we have time for it, cause there's, there's a lot of things we could potentially get into. But when you, when you talk about like taking action, and, and responding to adversity in the right way, whether it's good or bad adversity, whatever the case is, what do you can like, what are some things that we can keep in mind that is your best advice based on all these stories and all these experiences that you've seen? How can we respond better to adversity when it does come? So uh, I love this phrase uh, only because it's just so correct. Uh, embrace the suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, but I think that's an important phrase because often, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there who will say, well, you just need to reframe it in the moment. What's, what's positive about this? And I think that's one tactic for sure. But I also think you need to, you need to be willing to be sad, depressed, mm -hmm. angry. Um, you need to go through the cycle of emotions to get out the other side, to be able to fully appreciate the positives in it. So I, mean, I can use my dad's death as a great example, as I was 20 years old when my dad died wow. and I was at university and, you know, I was at that age where my father and I were starting to, to, to be friends, to, to have that, that next evolution, if you will, of parent child. And so, you know, I get a call and, you know, someone tells me your father's passed away. And, and so I spent the next three and a half years essentially drinking. Uh, I went from like a two day habit at university to a four day habit. And it just, it just was spiraling, but it, it took getting my DUI at 24 to wake me up to the positives of 20 to get me through the DUI process I had to go through in two, uh, over a two year period. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, 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 sometimes when you think of adversity, it sometimes either takes different adversity or it takes perspective, but all adversity is an opportunity to grow. And in fact, I would argue that's one of the only ways you grow is being challenged and pushed to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree a hundred percent. It's and uh, the talking about the emotional part of it, of the adversity part. Um, my business coach talks a lot about analyzing failure and the, the mm -hmm. proper way to kind of get over failure. 
in, in a, both a life and a business context. And, and a lot of times the, the bad adversity, there, there are definitely, there's an, a component of it that's like external that we can't do anything about, but there's a lot of things sure. that, are, that are adversity in our life that are actually self-caused. And that's one of the things he talks about is if you really analyze failure correctly, if you want to analyze it correctly to where it produces a lesson that you can act on, so you have to let that emotion crest it's like feel like feel the emotion and then on the downswing of it then you can start like once it starts get, kind of getting over the bell curve so to speak of where it's hit the emotional peak you feel the absolute worst about that failure and then as it comes down then you can kind of start the analysis process and i think you're you're spot on it's mm -hmm. very very difficult to reframe something as positive in the moment you just have to let those emotions wash over you crest and break and then on the downswing, then you can start to kind of reframe it. Um, and, and, and if you do, sorry, and if you do that in the moment, some people may argue that you almost can trick yourself into thinking it, right? Mm. Um, and, and maybe, and maybe some people can, you know, but for most of us, that's putting on a facade for the moment. Yeah. And in some ways you could argue that is denial. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the question is, does your unconscious mind agree with you? Yeah. You know, if you're saying an affirmation or something, or you're trying to reframe it consciously. If your unconscious disagrees with you, it doesn't really do any good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. One usually wins. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's not, it's not yeah. the conscious. Um, yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit because I want to honor your time, but there was a couple of other questions that I have, but before we get to those, just about the back end and kind of the inside baseball on publishing and, and where the book fits into your world, uh, tell people yeah. where they can go get it. So they can get the book uh, on Amazon, this is the, obviously the big one, Barnes and Noble. Um, if you really hate Amazon, you can get it on IndieBound.org uh, as well. Uh, there are people out there, believe me. People, that, people hate the convenience and, and free shipping. Yes, right. yes, yes, yes. They don't want to support the future owner of the world. Um, gotcha. yeah, I mean, in 20 years, there's going to be four companies that own the whole entire globe. I mean, let's be serious. Yeah, exactly. Um, now that yeah, two have been valued. Cyborg, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now that two are valued over a trillion dollars, um, we're oh, well on our God. way. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, all those places. And then, you know, on my website, you can grab the introductory chapter for free as well as a companion worksheet. Uh, mm -hmm. Thanks, Dana, for the idea. Hmm. Um, uh, and a companion worksheet that goes with the book as well about how to value relationships better. Mm, very cool. And the um, website, sorry, website just quickly is www.drjameskelly, D-R-James-K-E-L-L-E-Y.com. Perfect. Okay. Uh, so tell us a little bit like in the, in the marketing of the book, cause you're a professor of marketing. This is, this is what you yeah. do and this is what you teach. So, so when you approach marketing the book, um, what do you feel like, like looking back now at some of the things that you've done? Cause you've been on podcasts. I mean, you, you just came off of like a CNBC interview. I mean, you've done a bunch of stuff. Uh, what do you feel like worked the best, uh, to promote the book? So, I mean, podcasts are by far, um, the best to promote the book at yeah. this point. It allows you to, you know, like my book is written how I talk. So if you haven't figured out, I'm a little bit witty with some sort of intelligence. <laughs> um, and so I write the book in that tone the whole time. And so it gives, it gives an audience the ability to kind of get a sneak peek into what they're going to read. Um, and so I find that podcasts have been the best. I will say that uh, going to bookstores stunk up the joint. Um, mm -hmm. you know, in my mind, I thought that was going to be the best, the best way, but, but, but two things happen. One, uh, I don't have, I don't have the, 
the right street cred, if you will. I'm not, uh, you know, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. So mm. if I do a book launch or a book event, they're like, who is this Dr. James Kelly versus <laughs> it's Malcolm Gladwell. Right. right? So, so, um, realizing that by the time I was basically done with the book tour, uh, which indicates I'm not a fast learner. Um, I realized that, that I would have approached it totally different the second time. And, and I will mm-hmm. for sure. And so, you know, instead of doing bookstores, I would have done coffee shops. I would have done, um, I would have been more aggressive trying to get into businesses and do talks. You know, um, I, I would have been more, uh, I would have been more precise, you know, with my audience. I made the wrong assumption. I made the assumption that every new author makes mm-hmm. uh, that people will like my book because I wrote it. <laughs> and, and, and even when someone told me that they, felt, that they felt that and it didn't happen, so don't get your hopes up for it. And I said, ah, but this is my book. <laughs> so like, <laughs> like, like I still fell for it. Um, you did, you did the is, yeah, but still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I had the total like audacity to think that I was, you know, that my shit didn't stink. And so, uh, lesson learned, uh, humbled in the process. Yeah. And um, what you learn is that, and the other thing I did though that, that would be successful um, had I started it earlier, had I picked the right venue, is I actually didn't do a talk about the book. What I did, and it was the precursor to my companion piece, is I did activities at every stop. So I would walk them through uh, aspects of the book by doing activities, and then I would talk about how, or, or, or the rest of the book, right? So I'd walk them through the concepts of the book by doing a single activity that forced them to reflect on relationships and the value of relationships and how to value them more. And so I would, I would walk the people that would show up uh, through that. And then at the end, I would say, and you can do the same thing with this concept and this concept and this concept. And this is why you're more authentic when you do that. And it allowed me to hook them in without having to talk at them because who yeah. wants to listen to someone talk at them? Um, and so that, and, and, and all the bookstores I went to, they said that no one had done it the way that I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a huge, um, confirmation because they all thought it was great. They thought the, the impact was great. The engagement was great. Um, and so, yeah, so, so that's what I would do more of that. Mm-hmm. I would do more of that in, uh, better venues, but you know, that's the learning process. Like this is a failure oh, for totally. me in my mind. That was a failure, right? So, you know, well, and that, that answered my follow-up question, which is going to be, what well, you know, what would you do differently? Which is awesome. I appreciate you sharing all that because the the activities, holy cow, that's huge. That is a huge, huge takeaway that I hope, like anybody listening and watching, mm-hmm. that like that is unbelievably thought-provoking. And I think you're absolutely right. It was it was somebody, it was somebody in the tech world. It may have been, you know. I'm one of the guys from Wired or, or, you know, Kevin Kelly or someone of that nature said something to the effect of it's way better to give someone a tool that will change their thinking than to give them principles and and like try to teach them to to change their thinking. And an activity is essentially like it's an interpersonal kind of tool, right? Uh, Yeah. My my goal with that. Sorry, Matt. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, it's like a, a set of well, give us an idea of what the what one of the activities was so people get like a visual like it what was it a series of questions um call and answer yeah yeah so um so let me just two things real quick before i before i do that i'm happy to do that it was the activity was more about creating the environment uh of of connecting it was more about con- creating the environment of engagement and um, interpersonal relationships. Hmm. And, and that was my focus. Like, how can I draw people in by being vulnerable myself, but also allowing them to be vulnerable with each other in a way that was safe, unjudgmental. And so that was the aim of these, these, these activities. It wasn't like, you know, one to 10. It wasn't write down three things you did bad last week. It was, you know, um, it was very appreciative inquiry, uh, as Dana mm-hmm. will preach to. Um, it was think of a time for the question was always like, what brought you here tonight? Why is this topic important for you? And then it was always, cause then when you do that, you're creating this sense of, of connection, right? Here's your purpose of being here. Often people show up to these events. They don't really know why they're curious, um, whatever. But as soon as you write it down, it becomes palatable for them of like, Oh, this is why I'm really here. I had to think about that. And then I would go into, you know, think of a time that you engaged in a relationship that filled you with joy and happiness and you you were left fulfilled. Describe that to me. And then we would talk about themes of each description. So people would share, what was it about that? I look for things like you, you have a sense for deep connection. You have a sense for trust in your relationships. And we would pull out these concepts and each you know, person we would share. And then we'd move on and we would say something to the effect of, um, and I'm trying to do this off the top of my head, so I apologize if, I, if I'm paraphrasing here. <laughs> no worries. Um, you know, so the next step would be like, okay, these are all awesome. If you had two to three wishes, what would that look like? What might that look like moving forward if you were to engage in more relationships like this, like you described with other people? And they would describe what they would look like, right? How they would feel. And then you would do an action plan. All right, what are you going to do in 30 days, six months? Um, why does this give you purpose? And who else needs to be part of this process for you to succeed? And so that would be what I'd walk them through in an hour to two hours at an event. Interesting. Love it. Um, yeah, that's definitely something that uh, that I'm thinking about with with my book, and I think anybody that's listening that's writing or really just has any type of uh, like a message to share or intellectual property is to think about how to put that into. And, and you mentioned appreciative inquiry. That would be a great a great starting point is to to look at that framework and incorporate some of those those ideas. I'm just now kind of getting started on that journey myself, and need to do that for my for myself because I think it's that ability to get people to interact and come mm-hmm. to realizations on their own uh, is way, way more powerful than us yeah. giving them the principle and them going, eh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. I Cause you're always yeah. against their preconceptions. Well, and at the end of the day, um, the best answer is always the one you come up with. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the only right. one you really agree with. Well, that's what I mean, right? So, like, if you give them the space to create their own truth, in their own truth is believability and trust of that of the person who gave them the space to get their own truth. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but like, um, did that make sense? I don't know. Run it by me again. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's your yeah. turn to lose me for a second. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing, right? So by for me, um, and, and, and Dana would ex- probably share this sentiment, appreciative inquiry, the way that you ask these questions, is it gives people space to create their own truth. Mm. And so when they create their own truth with, me, with, with a facilitator who is the one creating the space of the truth, they're more likely to engage with everybody because they feel trusted and respected and they feel safe in that place. Mm -hmm. And so it's the idea of someone coming to their own truth that's so impactful for their confidence and willingness to share and to be present in a conversation. Um, There's just something about it that becomes magical when you see it happen. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I would love to see that. And, and it definitely just, it reveals to me, it like really drives the point home for me that I have a lot of work to do, um, going yeah, down the path do. of the, you know, appreciative <laughs> inquiry and things like that. Cause yeah, cause you, you want, you know, obviously you have a message, you want it to have impact. You want people to come out believing some of the thing, the same things that you do. You want to convert people to your point of view. Um, but realistically, the only way to do that is to help them see sure. that it's their point of view. And, and, and I want to be careful to say it's not manipulation. It's, mm-hmm. it's asking the right question in a way that allows them to find the best answer for themselves. Um, yeah, well, so, yeah, exactly. Cause at some point you're going to run up against a choice. If you present it in such, if you present it this way, you know, you can present it in a way that reveals that, Hey, you, you, this is the way that I feel mm-hmm. you can choose at, at the end of the day, it comes down. Do you believe X or, or Z? And you may believe something different than I do, and that's okay. But at least intelligently know that this is what you're choosing as opposed to like stripping away some of the preconceptions, misconceptions, and things like that. If you get all that stuff out of the way, you still may find that, hey, you and I still fundamentally disagree on this point over here. So, so what's great about my, my book is that it's, it's really hard to disagree with my concepts, and, I'm, and I don't mean that. I don't mean that. Let me explain. Hold on. Don't, let, don't hang me out there. Douchey, but I know what you mean. <laughs> so what I mean is that like, it's, it's hard to disagree with the fact that, that having people in your life that you value the relationship is important for your, for you. Hmm. It's hard to disagree with acting compassionately and selflessly is not only good for you, but good for others. Mm-hmm. It's hard to disagree with having behavioral integrity is a better way to live than manipulative and lack of ethics. <laughs> it, you, you can't disagree with those things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can, but then you're the douchebag. So <laughs> when you're in, when you're in these, when you, when I'm doing these events, you, you can't disagree with those concepts. Mm-hmm. What you can disagree with or not even disagree with what you can create is your own meaning around those concepts. Mm-hmm. And so what I try to do is provide the space for individuals to create their own meaning around what compassion means for them and what it looks like when they're being compassionate and not only towards themselves, which is really important, having self-compassion, but showing compassion to others without judgment or expectation. What does that look like? Yeah. And in any way you describe it, it it's a win-win, mm-hmm. right? Because for them, they're moving themselves forward because they're opening their eyes to, oh, if I am more compassionate, it actually fills my soul up. I remember when I did it at this one time through using appreciative inquiry, I remember when I did it this one time and it made me feel this way. 
Mm-hmm. What was it about that that made me feel this way? Why was that important to me? Why did that give me value? How can I get that again and again? Because man, it felt good. Yeah. I, no one can disagree. I mean, again, mm-hmm. you could, you're an ass, but, but most <laughs> people won't disagree with being compassionate towards others. Like it's just, yeah. you know, yeah, unless you're ruthless. I know. Well, you heard Lord it here Chris first. Lockhead. If you, if you disagree with the crucible's gift, you are odd. Therefore an automatically a douchebag and an asshole. <laughs> so it's great from Dr. James Kelly. And I, oh, first no. of all, I love how you brought it back to the book. Cause I know we're running short on time, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely go grab the book. Go grab it on Amazon. <laughs> and there's a couple of other places. That looking. wasn't my intent by the way. Oh, that you. is hilarious though. I love it. All right. So first of all, I just want to thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. We could go super deep on some other things and maybe we'll have you back to talk about kind of where it fits into the world of coaching and consulting and speaking and all that good, good and fun stuff for you. But I know uh, we got to let you to go. You've got a family to get back to and some whiskey to drink. So I uh, just wanted to <laughs> close out by saying how much I appreciate your time and it's, it's been awesome. Now, I believe that clarity releases energy. So I hope that this episode creates clarity for you by laying out a path forward in your business. Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast like this to help you break into a new industry or to establish yourself as an authority in a niche market, let's talk. We have a complete done for you podcasting service. Uh, That is my agency that I'm building and growing. And I'd love to talk to you about what we can potentially do for you. You can learn more at pursuingresults.com to get a sense of what our service is all about. And if you're ready, if you're really seriously thinking about starting a podcast, I'm happy to brainstorm your ideas and talk about the positioning of your podcast within the market, something that you can take away whether we end up working together or not. So you can grab a time on my calendar for a podcast brainstorm call at bookjohnson.com. That is bookjohnson.com. I just want to thank you again for listening to the show, for leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes and more importantly, for investing your time, your energy, your attention into the show. It really means the world to me that you would do that. So again, this is the UX podcast where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine and we'll see you on the next episode.